Heavenly Father, we, we gather, Lord, every week. We gather, Lord, to lift up Your name. We gather to honor You. We gather to praise You. But Lord, we also gather to hear from Your Scriptures. Lord, it's amazing to me that you, you say in Your Word that You use the foolishness of preaching to change the hearts of men and women. And God, I pray that You do that in this room. I pray, Lord, that You take me just a, just a man who's doing my best to pursue You, Christ. I pray You take, take just a fallen person and You use the foolishness of preaching by the power of Your Spirit to work in this room. That You use the foolishness of preaching to change hearts and lives as we hear Your Word and then we respond. And Lord, I pray... I pray that in 2017, Lord, our ears are very open to hear, but our hearts are very obedient to go and do. Father, James tells us, don't be just hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. And so, Lord, I pray that we are good hearers, good listeners, but then, Lord, I I pray that we'll go and do, that we won't just hear and say, well, that's a good word, and go home. Lord, I pray that we'll want to have obedient hearts that want to follow you, Jesus, and and do what you tell us to do. So, oh Lord, just open our minds and our hearts today. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. It was the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. The United States women's softball team won the gold medal that year. It was a fabulous year for United States sports. They lost only one game and their whole run towards winning the gold medal. The amazing thing in losing that one game, they learned a great life lesson. See, it was the fifth inning, and the fifth inning in a girls' softball game, they only played seven innings, and the fifth inning against Australia, and they're tied zero to zero. It's a big game. And Danielle Tyler gets up to bat, First pitch, she hits it over the center field fence for the United States. She runs around the bases in celebration. And as she watches and and runs around those bases, and America's going crazy because we're in Atlanta, and her fans are going crazy in the stands, and her teammates are going crazy, and she runs home towards home home plate and gets swarmed by all of her teammates, and they tackle her, and they're all excited because now we have the lead 1-0 to against Australia, and we're in the bottom of the fifth inning, so chances are we're going to win this game. challenge was they let the distraction of that excitement get in the way. Because what happens is they celebrate with her and they're high-fiving her and they tackle her. And as soon as the celebration is done and they clear the field and they go in their dugout, the Australians quietly appeal to the umpire. It says, umpire, she never t- touched home base. Some of you probably recall that and actually remember that taking place. And the umpire says, you're right. And he emphatically, you know, as an umpire can do, you're out of there. And the United States is like, what? You never touched home base. See, they learned a very important lesson. Danielle lost her focus in the moment of excitement, and her team lost the focus. See, why it's so important is because if they would have held on 1-0, to zero, they would have won that game. But they went on to the seventh inning, and it finished 0-0 zero, zero at the end of seven, so they go on to two extra innings, and they play, and instead of winning the game in, in regulation, the United States lost 2-1. to one. The good news is it was one loss. They still went on and, and won the gold medal. But they, they learned a huge lesson that if you're going to succeed at winning, you must stay focused all the way through to the end. You hear that now in college basketball. I heard it yesterday watching 
watching the Cats play and, and how it was kind of a close game there in Arkansas in the first half and it's kind of back and forth a little bit. Go to halftime, it's a close game. And then what happens in the second half is UK blows them out and beats them by 25 points or so. And the announcers are talking about how when you play against the Cats, you got to keep your focus for an entire 40 minutes. You can't go and say, I'm going to play for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. It's got to be 40 minutes of intense focus. Anything we do in life, it takes focus. And as soon as you take the eye off the target, chances are you're going to stumble or fail or, or, or lose the game. And so I want to ask you this morning, how's your focus been lately when it comes to your faith? How's your focus been on Jesus lately, so to speak? See, we, we need to have our focus on Christ. And Many times our faith can get distracted because we lose focus. There's a lot of things that, that get in the way and, and, and distract us from having focus. You just stop and think about it for a moment. What's work been doing to you lately? Maybe it's been, i got to put in 40 hours or 50 hours. I've been hearing some people they say, man, my, my boss expects so much time of me. I'm an hourly employee, but they expect me to be here more. I'm a, I'm a salary employee, and I feel like I can never get home, and I have to get there early in the morning. I'm there late at night. And so sometimes just the demand of every single day of going to work, you can lose focus. For some, it's I'm underemployed or I'm unemployed. And I'm searching for work, and I'm getting discouraged because I'm not finding the work. And just in that discouragement, you can lose focus because I don't have the work that I need. For, for some of you, it may be school. Think about the students who have gone back to school here, and the teachers are putting the pressure on going, hey, you got to write this paper, you got to write that paper, and you have this test coming and that test coming. And then moms and dads are saying, I expect you to get good grades. Don't you dare let those grades slip. And so we get all this pressure on students to go, you got to stay focused on your grades. At the same time, focus of faith, focus on Christ can drift away. Sometimes it's activities. Sometimes it's just we're, we're, we're running and we're going. I feel like that's, that's kind of our family right now because we have three kids who are involved in activities of sports and, and, and they're going and so that means I'm going and so that state keeps you real busy and sometimes just the activity of the life can keep you running and going and going and going and then you lose focus because you're focused on all the day-to-day tasks and everything that's happening. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes you, you, money can distract you and lose your focus because you... You've been well off, and God has blessed you greatly, but because you have so much money, you've got you to manage it, and you've got to invest it, and you've got to watch it, and you've got to caretake for it. And some of you are going, I wish that was me. <laughs> A lot of us are on the other spectrum where you're going, I don't have enough money. How do I pay this bill, and how am I going to pay that debt, and how am I going to pay for this expense, and how am I going to pay for that expense? And so you're overwhelmed because money is attacking you from all kinds of directions, and it loses our focus, and so we take our eye off of we're supposed to keep our eye on, and so our faith gets distracted or gets hurt. I want you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Hebrews chapter 12. As you turn your Bible there, let me give you the background to, to the book of Hebrews kind of in a nutshell. Because this is the passage that's going to be the underlying passage for this series that we're diving into that I've called Fixed. We talked briefly about it last week, just about keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. But let me give you a little bit of background. The author of Hebrews 
uh, wrote to a people who faced some very tough decisions. Hebrews is mainly written to a, to a people who were Jewish in their culture and Jewish in their religion. And so he writes to them because they're facing some really tough decisions because if they choose Christ and Christianity, then their faith is going to be affected and it's going to be affected for eternity. And so the question is, should we stick with our similar routine, the things we've always been doing, which is the routine of the Jewish religion, and actually, it's a good choice for them in their mind because in Rome, the official protection had protection over the Jewish religion. And so they're thinking, well, we're protected. And the Jewish religion had been protected for thousands of years. And so they're asking the question, do we embrace faith and do we walk in faith and do we walk in this Christianity or do we stay in our Jewish culture that's been a protected religion for thousands of years? Should we risk grow, uh, joining this body of Christ that is growing, that's calling themselves Christians? That's what they're wrestling through. And those early readers, the Jewish readers, needed some compelling reasons to choose Christianity. And so the book of Hebrews is written in that way. At that time, new converts were actually being thrown into jail. Many of them were being kicked out of Jewish temples. They were tossed in jail. Many were tortured. And so they were asking the question, is faith really worth the risk? Is it really worth the risk to go down this road? And so the tug, tug of the old and the fear of the new kept many people who were very interested people, especially Jews, teetering on the edge of Christianity. As they started to understand it, go, man, that, that makes sense to me. I understand a Savior. I understand a King. As they started, but they were still wrestling with, do I choose that or not? And so the book of Hebrews seems that it's designed towards people who are indecisive to make a decision to choose Jesus. And so there's a kind of a point by point by point as the author goes on to show them that Jesus is much better than the Jewish way. That Christianity is the best way. And Hebrews kind of holds a, a no-holds-barred argument, so to speak, that Christianity is the best way. And there's a strong appeal that faith is worth the risk. It's worth you going down this road. For the sake of the Jewish readers, the author used more than 80 Old Testament more than 80 Old Testament examples because the writer Hebrews knew, hey, they would know the Old Testament. So he pulls in all these Old Testament examples. He develops a case for Christ, kind of like a lawyer making a case for what's wrong or what's right. And so he's making that case, except for his emotions are so charged because he knows that, that he's dealing with, the writer knows they're dealing with life or death issues. And so the case he's making is so strong, and Hebrews mainly focuses on that Jewish religion, comparing it to Christianity, but, the also, the, but this book also speaks to our time, to the here and now, what we're going through. Because today people are asking questions like, aren't all religions basically the same? I mean, if you believe in a God, I believe in a God, isn't it okay? And a lot of people are saying, you know, if you're good and I'm good, then, then we're all good, aren't we? I mean, those are questions. People are asking questions, does it really matter what I believe? Does it really matter what you believe? You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And in the end, you know, we'll probably all be there in paradise together anyway. That's a lot of our American culture, how American culture thinks. Hebrews insists that there is a decisive reason to choose Christ. And so that's where we kind of pick up here as we get into this text. It's good to know that background because we're not walking through the entire book of Hebrews. And as you come to the passage today in this series, the, the writer wants us to know, don't get distracted from your faith. 
Because there were people now who had embraced Christ. And so this book is written to those who have embraced Christ and chose Christianity. It's written to those who are still wrestling with it. And so the writer's trying to say, listen, stay on path with what you chose. In chapter 10, if you back up before we get to our text in, in, in chapter 12, in chapter 10, the appeal is that Christ's sacrifice is good enough for all. That that one sacrifice was for everybody for at that time and for future times to come. And the writer is saying, keep persevering. The writer understands times are difficult. Times are hard. You may be distracted. You may be tired. You may be worn out. You may be feeling like giving up on this newfound faith you discover. But the writer is saying, you keep persevering. And then chapter 11, which is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, is known as the Hall of Fame of Faith, where the writer goes back and says, let me show you examples. Matter of fact, look at chapter 11 before we get in 12. I mean, let me show you examples when he says in verse 4, by faith Abel offered, I, offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And by, in, in, in verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. And by faith Noah, when, when warned about things not yet seen, and holy fear built an ark to save his family. And the whole chapter just goes on. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. The whole chapter of chapter 11 is all about, look at these Old Testament people. And again, it's written to a Jewish culture. They would have known these names. They would have they've been familiar with these people. This is, look at their faith. Look what they did because of their faith. And so he draws back to that and says, Keep persevering. Look at the faith of those who've gone before you and praying, I think, as he's writing this, that these words would encourage you. These words would keep you strong. And then we get into chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore. Now, whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, you have to wonder, what's it there for? You have to ask that question. If it says therefore, well, what's there for? It's therefore because it's referring back to chapter 11. It's referring back to what this whole faith is. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, so he's writing and saying, I just pointed out to you the great cloud of witnesses. I pointed out to you these great people of faith. And therefore, since we're surrounded by them, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so again, an encouragement. Let go of the sin. Let go of the things that are distracting you. Let go of the things that are destroying your focus, so to speak. And let's keep looking forward and let's keep persevering in items of faith in our Christian walk. In verse 2, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. I, I read that and it immediately makes me wonder, what, what exactly does that word fix mean? I mean, what is it, does that mean that it's like fixing a car? Does it mean like I go out and I fix cars? Does it mean like I go fix, it, fix the broken chair or the broken table? I go fix the broken computer? It's not that what it means. It means an intense, an intense, per, per, um, an intense pursuing of Jesus. It means that you have your eyes on Jesus and nothing else. It means that, that you're keeping your eyes on, on the target, on the prize. And he says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. I think the best comparison for us is pull out your smartphone. How often are you fixed on it? How often you have it in your hand, you're walking around with it in your hand, you're going to the bathroom with it in your hand, you're going to eat with it in your hand, you're getting dressed and it's right there with you. And that's our culture we live in today where we have these tablets or smartphones by us. Our eyes are always looking at that screen. Side note on that, do a little research on screen time and notice all the stuff that's coming out today and how damaging screen time is to not only you, 
and your relationships, but also your children. It's not a sermon for today, but moms and dads, we need to monitor how much screen time because our kids get so fixed on this that they don't get fixed on Him. We need to be parents. We need to monitor how much time they get on that screen time. But what are you fixed upon? It's something that you, you are intensely pursuing. The word fixed. Intensely pursuing. Intensely going after. That's what this is talking about. So it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us intently pursue Jesus. So it's saying, let us be intently about that. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring at its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, considered him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer is saying, look at Jesus who died on the cross for you. Look at Jesus, that once sacrifice, that was once for all, who went to the cross and took your sin and my sin, and he, and he shed his blood, and he, and he defeated the grave by being buried in the tomb and rising again. He says, look at him and fix your eyes on him. Fix your faith on him. Don't forget about that. He says, fix your eyes there. Fix your life there. And so for 2017, that's the goal. That's the goal I'm going to keep coming back to this year for Centerpoint Christian Church. Are your, are your eyes, is your heart, is your mind fixed upon Christ? What are we fixed upon? We get so distracted by lots of things. I'll tell you one of my distractions. It's college football. My, my kids will attest, it's NFL football. Because then they look and say, Dad, can we do something else other than football? Because I love to watch football. And I can spend hours. I spent yesterday sitting before the fire watching football, fixed upon watching football. For some of you, it's college basketball. You go from one game to another game to another game to another game. You're like, man, I'm just fixed. I, I love that, all, that that's being on television. For some of you, it's some other kind of hobby. It, it's maybe, maybe it's woodworking. Man, I just can't wait to get home, get home from work. I can be out in my garage. I can be out in my shop. I can be making something. I can be putting something together. Some of you are fixed upon those kind of projects. For some of you, it's fixed upon your work. I want to make more money. I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more. Make more, make more, make more. What are you fixed upon? I'm going to challenge this church this year to make sure that the goal is to be fixed upon Jesus. As I get older... More and more I realize that is the only answer. He is absolutely the only answer. Marriage is struggling, get fixed on Jesus. It's amazing how when a husband and a wife both get fixed on Jesus, how a marriage can be healed. Struggling with some sick, sickness issues and you're going, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed with that. Stay fixed on Jesus to carry you through the challenge of sickness. Struggling with money issues, stay fixed on Jesus, trusting Jesus to carry you through. How do I handle money issues? Parenting issues, how do I raise these kids? Oh no, these kids are driving me crazy. Oh no, one's in trouble, one's doing this, one's doing that. What do you do? You've got to stay fixed on Jesus. And so for 2017, we're going to figure out, how do I get fixed on Jesus? Well, it takes with us understanding who Jesus is. I would say many in this room say, well, I understand that He's the Savior. I understand that He died on a cross for me, maybe. I understand that He, he came back from death and He conquered the grave. But Jesus is an is a endless well of wealth and wisdom and knowledge that when you start studying Jesus, the end is never there. And so we're going to dive in this year and we're going to just study Jesus from every angle I can possibly bring you Jesus. We're going to look at His life and we're going to look at how do I do what Jesus did? 
That's the goal. 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in Him. In other words, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you say, I'm a Christian. Now, for some, I understand in this room, you may say, I'm not there yet. I'm not quite there yet, but I think you need to know the truth before you make the commitment. I think we need to know the truth. I think for too long, the church has been about, hey, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. We don't tell you what the commitment, what the commitment is. The commitment is, if you believe in Him, whoever claims to live in Him, I believe in Him, He's my Savior, then you must walk as Jesus did. The call is to look at Him and say, I want to emulate what He did in His life. So we're going to lift this up in 2017. Let's look at the life of Christ. Let's see how He walked on this earth. And let's say, you know what? If He did that, and this passage calls me to walk as He did, so I want to look at His life, and I want to try to do what He did. Will I do it perfectly? No. We're going to mess up. We understand that. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. But we're going to keep Him as the target. We're going to fix our eyes upon Jesus and say, Jesus, what you did. Jesus, how you walked. Jesus, how you lived. Jesus, how you worshiped. Jesus, how you prayed. Jesus, how you engaged with Scripture. Jesus, I want to understand all of that. Jesus, how you cared about people and how you love people. What you did, I want to know what you did, and I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. I'm going to do my best with the power of your Spirit, God, to try to do the same thing. So let's look at one area just briefly. Because in order to do this, It takes prayer. It takes a lot of prayer. I wonder about Jesus' prayer life. Jesus had an amazing prayer life. I I wish there was books that were written just on His prayer life. I wish the Scriptures would have said, this is all His prayer life, but we get a, a synopsis, we get a touch into it. There is actually 33 different times in the Scriptures where it mentions or talks about Jesus' prayer life. I find it very interesting that he began his ministry in Luke chapter 3. He began it in prayer. That's where it started. There's a hint, folks. Don't start any ministry unless it begins with prayer. Whether it be personal ministry, whether it be church ministry, whether it be a small group ministry, it needs to start with prayer. And then he ends his ministry in Mark 15. He ends it praying. So he started praying and he ended it praying. Jesus prayed before every major uh, event turning point in his life before every major crisis he slips away to pray the busier jesus became the more he prayed does that model your life does it model my life many times the busier i get it seems to be the less i pray busier i get i'm like i don't have time for that and jesus says no let me show you just the opposite the busier i got the more i invested time to talk to my father god wait a minute jesus you are god yes he is but he still had a conversation with god his father because he's jesus as a man walking on this earth jesus is jesus priority at times demanded that he withdrew from the crowds to communicate with his father it demanded he got away and said god i got to hear from you i got to know what's next in, in, my, in, my, in my ministry. Jesus' disciples knew that his prayer life was made, made him different from all their leaders. He said, how do I know that? Well, they never asked. There's nowhere in Scripture you can see the disciples ask. They said, Jesus, hey, we saw you heal that blind person. Hey, we saw you turn that leper and, and heal that person. We saw you bring that person back from life. Jesus, we want to do that! There's nowhere in Scripture. Not once did they ask, Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. That's not what they asked. They also got a chance to sit around Jesus and watch Him preach and teach. 
tell stories and, and share about the greater things of the kingdom. And they sat around and watched him preach to multitudes upon multitudes of people. And not once did they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want to preach like you preach. Help us to do that. Teach us how you do that. That wasn't their prayer. That wasn't their question. Their question was, Jesus, teach me how to pray. That's their question. Jesus, teach me how to pray. I wonder today if that's a better question instead of, Jesus, teach me how to be a good dad. Jesus, teach me how to be a good mom. Jesus, teach me how to be a good coworker. Jesus, teach me how to be a good business, business owner. Jesus, teach me how to do this. What about just saying, Jesus, teach me. I, I want to pray like you prayed. I want to be able to pray like you prayed because if we can learn to pray like he prayed, all these other things will be taken care of. That was their, that was their question. Teach us to pray like you prayed. Consider a few verses with me just about the prayer life of Jesus in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is a very interesting uh, passage because Jesus spends time just spending time healing and, and caring for people. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 15 says, Yet the news about him spread all the more. This is just after he healed a man with leprosy. And so the crowds of people came to hear, hear him and to be healed by their sickness. And so these crowds are gathered around. And when you talk about crowds, it's hard to know exactly the number. But I don't think the crowd would have been just a crowd of 10 or a crowd of 15. Because the word is spreading through the region and spreading through the cities. And they hear, hey, Jesus is in this region. If you want to be healed, you've got to get around him. It would have been crowds like going to the mall at Christmas time. Like, we want to get around Jesus. It had been like, wait, that TV's on sale? I'm going to fight for it. No, I want to fight to be around Jesus. And so the crowds are pressing upon Jesus and they're all getting around Him and they want to be able to have a touch of Jesus. They want to just be able to get close to Him and, and see Him and experience Him. And hopefully, He'll heal me. Hopefully, He'll take care of my problem. And in verse 16, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often, often withdrew to lonely places where He prayed. The word lonely actually means deserted. Places where he could get away from the crowd, away from the craziness of life, away from doing ministry, often. Just stop and think for a moment about that. We're to walk as Jesus walked. We're to emulate His pattern of life, so to speak. And He, in His busyness of ministry, with crowds upon Him, withdrew often to lonely places. Stop and think about your life for a moment. And the busyness, you're thinking tomorrow I gotta get up and go to work. And then after work, I gotta go here and I gotta go there and I gotta do this and I gotta do that. And then Tuesday is this and this. And sometimes we get overwhelmed just thinking about our schedule for the week. We sit and look at our calendar and think, this is crazy that my calendar is so full and so busy and I'm going and going and going and going. Do you have time planned in there to withdraw often to a lonely place? to get alone to pray. Do you even know what that lonely place is? Do you even know that, that place of quiet? Do you know where that is? That you know what? I know where I can get away and pretty much I won't be bothered. Pretty much I'll be able to stay away from it. Turn off the phone, turn off the radio, turn off the music, and I withdraw. I'll tell you where my spot is. I did this about a year ago and I withdraw here often. Mine is in the corner of my closet. 
I literally took and cleared clothes out. I put a little table in the corner. I bought a little chair and put it in, a, in there because it's around the back side of my bathroom. And typically the kids don't come into my bathroom. They usually bother me. It's early in the morning when Brian is still sleeping. And sometimes I'll just go sit in that chair and I'll say, God, I'm here. God, what do we got to talk about today? God, I'm stressed. God, I'm overwhelmed. Many times that goes into some Bible study time. That goes into Bible reading. It grows from there. But do you have a place, kind of a sanctuary type place, where you're like, you know what? When I withdraw, I got a lonely place. I got a place to get away from everybody else and just me and God and just to pray. Now, some of you say, I, I, I'm not sure about this prayer thing. I'm not sure even how to do it. What I have discovered, if I can find a place and I make an appointment and say, God, I'm just going to show up and then sit before God and say, God, I'm here. It's amazing how prayer will start to grow. Sometimes we look for a form, we look for a a certain procedure to follow, we think for a a schedule or a time or something like that. I, I have found that I have grown more in prayer by going to my spot, sitting in a chair and saying, God, I'm here, what do we got to talk about? Sometimes that's a five minute just sit and be quiet. Sometimes that grows to 35 and 40 and 45 minutes. Sometimes it's two hours later. I'm like, I'm still in the chair. I got to get on to the day. I got some other things to do, God. And he says, we'll get moving. But do you have a place? The best way to start a prayer life is to commit to say, God, I'm just going to get before you and say, God, what do you want? Simple. It's amazing. He'll start guiding you. We'll open up your Bible today. Okay, let's talk about this that's going on in your life. Tell me how you're feeling about that, what you're thinking about that, just by making the commitment to time. I think that's why Jesus got away like that. Because He knew in the rush with people being up on His shoulder, people being on His hip, people being around Him, saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's like, I can't hear from God. It's amazing how when you get away to a lonely place, just some quiet, you and God, prayer will start to develop. Now look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is an example where Jesus found this place of quiet. Verse 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where He prayed. Again, that lonely place, that solitary place, a place all by Himself. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark. So that means i got to sacrifice some sleep, possibly. So how do I sacrifice sleep? Now if you back up to verse 32 in that passage, it says that evening after sunset, so the sun went down, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. So Jesus, if I'm reading that passage right, Jesus was up late because the sun had went down and Jesus, they bring him sick people and demon-possessed people and they're like, heal him, take care of him, Jesus. And so he's doing ministry. And because it says in Jesus healed many, we don't know the many, who had various diseases, he also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And so he spends time healing people. He's up late. He gets a little bit of rest, and it says very early in the morning. Now I hear some people say, well, I'm not a morning person. I'm not a morning person. I'm I'm a late night person. I can only look at the Scripture and say, man, Jesus knew that the morning was the best time then maybe I want to follow what Jesus did. I want to do what, what He did. I want to emulate His pattern. Jesus stayed up late. He got up early. When's the last time you said, you know what, I've been up late, but I'm still getting up early. What time is early for you? 
When is it that your house starts to wake up? When is it that your phone starts to ring? When is it your texts start to go off? When is it that you have messages coming in and you're like, i got to deal with that? If that's at 7 o'clock, maybe you get up at 6 o'clock. If that's at 6 o'clock, maybe you get up at 5 o'clock. To set that early morning pattern where you get up. Because here's what I learned, is the way you begin your day is the way you'll live your day. The way you begin your day is the way you'll live your day. If you begin your day with Jesus, chances are you'll live your day with Jesus guiding your day. But if you begin your day with Facebook and email and checking the news, you'll begin your day with stress and your day will be stressed. Some of the articles I've read about, about screen time suggest that you get your rooms or get your, your phones and your devices out of your room. Get them out of your room, put them on your kitchen table so that you start the day not with Facebook and email and all that kind of stuff. You start your day in a more peaceful way. You start your day, I would suggest, with Christ. Very early morning. You say, well, how did, how did Jesus decide very early in the morning? And we're going to learn in a couple of weeks that Jesus knew the Scriptures and He studied the Scripture. He wasn't downloaded with all this biblical data and here you know it all. He actually studied it and He actually learned it. And so I believe He read this verse in Psalm chapter 5 where it says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. As David wrote that psalm, I think Jesus studied that scripture and Jesus went, wait a minute, David saw value of getting up in the morning and in value allowing the Lord to hear my voice in the morning. And so I'm going to get up in the morning just like David did. Just like David did. David, who, who was a great man of God, a man after God's own heart. And so Jesus studied the scripture. I think he sees that and says, you know what? Morning time sounds like a good time. Let's be honest. Once you get going for your day and you get down to the nighttime, when you're ready to hit the pillow, you're not thinking about praying. You're thinking, well, I've got to get to bed. And then you get busy and you say, well, I'll do it a little bit later in the day. And you have all kinds of distractions throughout the day. I think we should follow the pattern of Jesus. Church, I encourage you this year as we continue on this journey to fix our eyes upon Jesus, that you make it a priority of prayer. You make it a priority of prayer that you say, you know what, I'm going to commit some time where I get away to a solitary, to a lonely place where it's just me and, and God. And if you don't know how to pray and you're like, I've never really done that before. Some of you I know are on a path where you're down the path and you're like, I've been growing in prayer and I've got Bible study tools and discipling things I do and, and you're on a journey. But, but many of you say, I just need to get started. Here's how you get started. Pick a place and say, God, I'll be there tomorrow or I'll be there in the morning and just go and say, God, I'm here. What's next? God, I'm here. What's next? He'll start guiding you. He'll start directing you. And make that a consistent pattern. You'll be amazed how all of a sudden you're reading the Bible some. Now you're doing some Bible studying. And your prayer life is growing. What are you focused on? I took Lily Grace the other day to a, to a little clinic over at Kroger. We are sitting in the little clinic. And on the wall was an eye chart like that. We're waiting for the physician's assistant to come in and there's a red line on the floor. And I said, Lily, what can you read? And so she stepped back and she's reading. And of course she got the E and the F and the P and the T. And it was, I don't know if the exact same letter. Believe it or not, she got to the very bottom line and read every letter right but one. I was like, man, I wish my eyes could still do that. But it makes me think about something. If you're taking the eye text of what you're fixed upon, would you fail or pass today? What kind of vision would you have when you say, fixed on Jesus? 
Would you have 2020 vision? Would you have 2015 vision? Would you have 2040 vision? Where, where would your vision be? As you look at the test, if you said, all right, Lord, you and I, let's do a little test here, Lord. I'm going to focus in on you for a few moments. Where would you line at? Would you line at lane one or, or line one or line five? Would you line at line six or, or line eight? Would you say, I've got keen vision. I am zoned in. I am fixed on Jesus. My eyes are zoned in on him, and I'm pursuing him with everything. That would be like a line eight. Maybe line three is kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of doing it. Maybe line one is, I'm just at the very beginning. I'm, I'm figuring out this thing of faith. Where are you at today? How's your focus been lately? Ah, we just come off a of Christmas season. That's a good one to distract our focus. Let's go to another party. Let's get more food. Let's go here. Let's go there. Let's go shopping. And then all of a sudden we're distracted. What, what are you fixed upon today? How about making... 2017, the year you fix your eyes upon Jesus. And why not begin that with saying, you know what? I'm going to start praying like Jesus prayed. I'm going to get away to a solitary place all by myself. I'm going to do that early in the morning before distractions of the day come. And I'm going to start praying and just saying, Lord, guide me, guide my life, guide my day. Fix your eyes upon Jesus by following His example of prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, Help us, Lord. Help us to fix our eyes upon You. Father, we can get so distracted by so many different things. We can get so distracted, Lord, by work and distracted by life and distracted by busyness and distracted by things that, Lord, we can lose our focus. God, I just want to ask you right here in this room just to speak to each individual in this room. I just, Lord, a simple little test. How's our focus? Speak to us right now in the quietness of this room right now. Father, I know you're speaking to some hearts and some minds right now, and you're saying your focus has been distracted. It's time to get get refocused. For some in this room, Lord, I know you're saying to them, you need to accept me as Savior. That's the first step of focus. For some in this room, Lord, you're saying, keep going. Doing great. Keep going. Keep your eyes fixed on me. Don't allow things to distract. Keep persevering. Father, as we grow this year and, and fixing our eyes on You and understanding who Jesus is, Lord, would You change us? Would You do a work in us that, Lord, when we come to the end of 2017, we go, wow, I am a, I'm a new person. I see the work of Christ in my life. Lord, help us to throw off everything that hinders, every sin that entangles, as the Hebrew writer says, every distraction. Help us pursue You and persevere, keeping our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.